Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast investigating everything related to how we look. Brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol. I'm Nadia. And I'm Nicola. And this is episode six. In today's episode, we're going to be talking all about body image interventions. You may remember us speaking in episode four about the importance of body image on mental and physical well-being and how body image is increasingly recognised as a public health priority, especially among women and young people. To recap, research has consistently shown that poor body image or body dissatisfaction is associated with many negative psychosocial outcomes, including low self-esteem, depression, disordered eating and reduced participation at school or at work. Positive body image, on the other hand, is a protective factor to these unfavourable outcomes and has been shown to be associated with increased health behaviours such as increased exercise and fruit and vegetable consumption in adolescence. Yes, so we wanted to follow up by talking about some of the work we do here at the Centre for Appearance Research to promote positive body image and to reduce the risk for eating disorder onset. There are a number of different projects going on at CAR designed to improve body image among different target groups, and we can't cover them all in one episode. Instead, we're going to focus on some of the work we do, which is focused on helping young people to reach their potential. Today, we're going to talk about some of our work with the Dove Self-Esteem Project and the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts. We're also going to talk about the Body Project, one of the most well-established evidence-based body acceptance programmes designed by a leading eating disorders prevention researcher and one of our collaborators, Dr. Eric Stice, who is based at the Oregon Research Institute in the United States. Yes, we're delighted to be joined today by Eric, as well as Jenny Giangrande from the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts. Let's start talking about the Body Project. Okay, so the Body Project, designed by Dr. Eric Stice back in 2001, is a programme aimed at helping adolescent girls and young adult women to resist cultural pressures to conform to the societal standards of female beauty that are prevalent in westernised countries. Over four one-hour small group sessions, participants are encouraged to challenge cultural messages and pressures to look a certain way and to consider the personal and societal costs of pursuing this unrealistic appearance ideal through role plays, written exercises, body activism and acceptance home exercises. The Body Project is based on more than 16 years of research. It has been shown to reduce the risk of developing eating disorders by 61%, with sustained effects lasting as long as three years after the completion of the programme. That's pretty impressive for a four-hour intervention. Research has also found that participating in the programme produces lasting improvements in body satisfaction, functioning at school, friend and family relationships, and reducing negative mood and the risk for onset of obesity. Okay, so now let's introduce Dr. Eric Stice. Eric is a qualified clinical psychologist and today works as a senior research scientist at Oregon Research Institute. His research is focused on examining risk factors for eating disorders, obesity, depression and drug abuse, especially among young people. Eric is a leader in the field of eating disorder prevention and has also received numerous awards in recognition of his work. Hi Eric and welcome to Appearance Matters the podcast. We're delighted that you're able to join us today. 
This episode is all about body image interventions and we've just been talking about the body project but as you're one of our three keynote speakers at the Appearance Matters conference in June we'd like to start by talking a little bit about you and your career so can you start by telling us how you first got into a career in research specialising in body image and eating disorder prevention? Sure, yeah, and thank you for having me for this uh, conference. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, My wife uh, is a sociologist, and she and I were interested in collaborating and were uh, interested in a psychiatric condition that is uh, a product of cultural pressures or cultural influence, and eating disorders and body image concerns seemed like a a really perfect match for that in the sense of there being a a strong cultural role in creating mental health issues that uh, trouble young women in America and I think in most Western countries. Mm-hmm. And so you're a leading figure in the field of eating disorder prevention research and I'd really like to know what's been your proudest achievement to date. Uh, I think just the, the super broad implementation of dissonance-based body acceptance interventions you know through Dove as well as through uh, sort of other organizations that we've worked with in the U.S. and other countries around the world just the idea that several thousands of young women may feel better about their bodies and kind of go through the world with uh, more body confidence is just totally awesome to think about. And to some extent, you know, writing a prevention program, it's sort of like scripting a play out and then other Mm -hmm. people act in it and it has therapeutic benefit. And it just seems like a a really cool way to kind of help reduce, uh, you know, mental health issues and promote kind of uh, better body acceptance and a positive outlook for, for young women. Okay, great. Thank you. And what do you enjoy most about your work? Um, for me, I think it's the, the strategic part of how you kind of orchestrate the clinical interventions so that anybody can have therapeutic benefit of working, you know, and working with other people that you'll never meet. So it just, it seems like uh, a really, it's sort of like a chess game in the sense of the really deep strategy of how you get people to say things that have therapeutic benefit and enjoy doing it so that they come back and do it again or tell their friends that they should go through these interventions. Um, so I, I really like the strategic angle of it mm-hmm. myself. It just seems like a sort of a, a nice tricky Rubik's Cube to try to solve. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, so now let's turn to the body project. Can you tell me how you how you came to design the program? Yeah, it's actually sort of an embarrassing story. I was seeing an anorexia nervosa patient at Stanford, and mm-hmm. she was uh, just slipping back into anorexia nervosa and had come into individual therapy. And after about seven hours of talking with her individual sessions, where I was attempting to talk her out of having anorexia nervosa, she showed up for her eighth session, and on a total whim, I said, Today, we're going to reverse roles. Uh, today, I'd like you to talk me out of having anorexia nervosa. And it was just fantastic because I was able to parrot back all the arguments that she had given to me. And it was clearly the most uh, powerful therapeutic experience uh, that I've had uh, doing mm-hmm. individual therapy. And it just really, you could just see her gears churning as she argued against herself. And I remember walking out of that session. And I went straight to my research lab meeting, which was right after it, and I sat down with my research staff and was like, well, I think we could do this, use this idea for prevention, that we just give young women a forum for exploring why it's damaging to pursue the thin mm-hmm. ideal, and perhaps they'll talk themselves out of it in a way that we never would be able to talk them out of it if we're the, the expert clinician leading the group. And it sort of just went from there. Uh-huh, that's so cool. Thank you. 
Um, now, you first designed the body project back in 2001, I believe. Has the program changed at all? Uh, it, it has. It's really evolved. It's, uh, it's actually funny because basically the, the very first trial we did, which I think was in 1999, um, I just threw together a really brief script with some ideas of what to do, and then I just started leading the groups. And it really was formative that we, in the process of leading the groups, I sort of spontaneously threw in things that are still in the body project now, um, like asking people why they signed up for the group. Um, we've really tried to use a community participatory approach where we solicit input from everybody who's ever led the body project groups in any of our research or experienced the body project as a participant. And it's, it's been this, you know, 15 year odyssey of really, um, improving the intervention and, and, and taking great ideas from loads of different people. So probably I, I think our research team should only get credit for like half of the content of the intervention at this point in time because mm -hmm. there's been so much amazing input from clinicians at high schools and colleges um, and the participants themselves. It's been just really wonderful. So it's, it's been really a, a gigantic kind of collaborative effort. Uh-huh. Great. Thank you. And um, how has the Body Project been adapted to reach a wider audience? You know, it's given that it's a participant-driven intervention that you really, you know, the, the facilitator for the Body Project group is really, um, their job is to essentially use Socratic questioning to kind of elicit responses from the participants in the group. It, it's sort of naturally culturally adapting that, that mm -hmm. if most of the group members are white versus Asian versus African-American, what they talk about naturally varies a lot and that their sure. appearance ideals and their subcultures really differ. So, um, you know, we've just inserted a couple questions that opened the door for that discussion. Great, thank you. Do you think that body image interventions are as relevant today as back in 1999? I think so. I, it's been really interesting. The two things that have changed over the 15 years is that what people describe as the, the appearance ideal has shifted and changed. And it was, um, that forced us to change how we measure it and stuff like that. And I think given the increasing rates of uh, obesity and overweight, it's, it's altered somewhat in the sense that we now have to make a really clear distinction between the thin ideal and the healthy ideal and not undermine pursuit of, of health in the sense of, you know, eating a healthy diet and exercising on a regular basis and getting mm -hmm. good sleep and all the other normal things that you do to have uh, good health, etc. Sure. Okay, let's go on. You're one of the three keynote speakers at our Appearance Matters 7 conference, and we've already heard a little bit on this podcast from your fellow keynotes, so Professor Diana Harcourt from the Centre for Appearance Research and Professor Bryn Austin from Harvard. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing at the conference and the topic of your keynote? Uh, my talk will primarily focus on this process by which we basically created the body project, which mm -hmm. began with... Uh, when we first sort of decided to sort of tackle this problem, we actually weren't really seeking to develop a prevention program, but rather to improve our understanding of risk factors for eating disorders and understand, you know, what vulnerability factors actually get people there so we know what to target in a prevention program or what to turn down in the treatment intervention. So we, we spent probably 10 years just doing prospective study after prospective study, creating scales that measure you know, pursuit of the thin ideal and, and perceived pressure from culture in terms of uh, achieving that ideal um, and following people over time and seeing what predicts increases in body dissatisfaction and onset of disordered eating 
Um, and it really wasn't until we, we sorted a lot of that out that we really realized that targeting young women with body image concerns would be a really futile ground to prevent eating disorders and turning down how much they are pursuing the thin ideal is more important than other variables such as turning down negative affect or turning down dietary restraint or uh, even directly trying to turn down body dissatisfaction, that realizing that pursuit of that thin ideal was sort of at the headwaters of an ideologic cascade that gives rise to body image and eating disorders was, was really quite important. Anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit about that and then really how you do nicely controlled randomized trials, use rigorous comparison conditions, learn from your participants. You know, we'll talk about the ideologic research, the kind of early randomized prevention trials, and then really getting into effectiveness trials to figure out if what you've designed works with real-world clinicians when they try to implement the prevention program in the trenches, as it were, and then really get into the whole notion of partnering with various entities to sort of disseminate on a broader basis uh, body acceptance interventions. And it's it's a, it's a kind of a cool, I mean, I think it can be applied to a lot of other public health areas, but it's been really exciting to see how well it's kind of taken hold and hopefully had a positive effect on lots of different people. Great. Thank you so much. If there's one piece of advice that you would give to an early career researcher or a PhD student, what would it be? You know, I think the one piece of advice is to use science as a tool, as a powerful tool to figure it out, the answers to questions well. I, I sort of feel like in the field of psychology and public health broadly, we haven't really done the very best research possible. And I think by really using kind of rigorous scales that are validated and actually measure what you think they measure, that you have rigorous comparison conditions that control for nonspecific effects, like all those things I think are essential. And I think application of really good science can lead to loads of great solutions to mental health problems. I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, use science well and it can become a very powerful tool that allows us to answer public health problems. That's really great. Thank you, Eric, so much. That's all of our questions for today. Sure, yeah. And thank you for having me. That was Dr. Eric Stice talking to Nadia from his office in Oregon. Remember, you can hear more about his work and meet him in person at our conference Appearance Matters 7 in London this June. There's still time to register to attend. Okay, let's move on and talk about some of the work that we at the Centre for Appearance Research are doing in collaboration with Eric, the Dove Self-Esteem Project and the World Association for Girl Guides and Girl Scouts, or WAGS for short. Yes, and this is what you're working on, isn't it, Nadia? So you tell us. Okay, so Dr. Philippa Diedrichs McCart, alongside Dr. Derek Stice and Caroline Becker from the Body Project Collaborative, alongside people at the Dove Self-Esteem Project and WAGS, work together to create a specially designed programme for girl guides aged 7 to 14 called Free Being Me. Since 2013, Free Being Me has been running girl guide member organisations in over 120 countries worldwide and has reached approximately 2.5 million young people. Our next guest is Jenny Giangrande from WAGS. Jenny has been working on the Free Being Me project since it began in 2013 and was instrumental in adapting the body project to make it suitable for girl guides in their non-formal education setting. Hi Jenny and welcome to Appearance Matters the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Can you start by giving us a short introduction to the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts? 
Yeah, absolutely. We've got 10 million members, uh, 10 million girls and young women from 146 countries. Our key aim is to support and empower girls to achieve their fullest potential and become responsible citizens of the world. So we particularly focus on uh, non-formal education. We also do a lot of advocacy work and community action and yeah, generally uh, help girls develop the skills that they need to make a positive difference in both their lives and also in their own communities and in the wider world. Amazing. Thank you for that great introduction there, Jenny. Today we've been talking about body image interventions. So why did WAG first decide to roll out a global body image intervention across all of your member organisations? Well, um, it's something that we knew that girls were interested in. Back in 2010, uh, the World Association did a survey that we called The World We Want for Girls, where we asked girls and young women uh, who are members of WAGs which issues were of most concern to them. A lot of issues came up, of course, and one of the biggest was that girls were concerned about the sexualization of girls and the images of girls, and about the kind of self-esteem and body confidence problems that come from that. And also we saw a lot of the Dove global research, uh, particularly around the fact that um, 6 in 10 girls worldwide will avoid an important development activity, so like going swimming, putting their hand up in class, anything that is going to give them the opportunity to kind of develop things like teamwork skills, lead leadership skills um, and more confidence just because of the way that they look. We had uh, international and national training events uh, that we ran to introduce the programme to our national member organisations. Um, and our global trainers who were responsible for those events were absolutely overwhelmed by the, um, the enthusiasm and the interest that our members had in the issue and the kind of uh, the fact that they really thought that it was a really important issue. Great, thanks Jenny. How did you come to partner with the Dove Self-Esteem Project and with the body image researchers, so Philippa, Eric and Carolyn? Uh, Well, Dove has actually been working for a number of years before WAGS joined with our national member organisations. So, for instance, in in the US and the UK um, and a number of other countries uh, where they had already set up great relationships and uh, were um, helping with body confidence in those countries. And so it just seemed like it made a lot of sense uh, for Dove and for uh, the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts to, um, to join together and take it to a global level. Also, when we started talking to Dove, we were so excited to realise that um, the Dove Self-Esteem Project mission and our own both included the key aim of working together to empower girls to fulfil their full potential. And then as we uh, started developing what we wanted to do with the Dove Self-Esteem Project, we were introduced to the Body Project. Dove found this programme and they were really excited to see that there was a non-formal education programme that already existed that had been shown to make a genuine difference to girls' body confidence and in various countries around the world as well. And it just made a lot of sense to start from something that had already been created, that had already been shown to have an impact. And so we could then work from that to create a version that works for Girl Guides and Girl Scouts. Okay, great. And that actually leads me really nicely onto my next question, which is what did you need to do to adapt the body project to make it suitable for Girl Guides? Um, whenever we create a WAGS program, we always apply our um, particular uh, non-formal educational method. So that's always at front and centre. So that's including things like particularly ensuring girls are working, uh, having the opportunity to work in small groups, developing their teamwork and leadership skills. 
they have the opportunities to take the lead um, and also create their own learning experience. So it's all about learning by doing. It's about getting up and doing it yourself in a really creative and fun way. So to do that, we introduced more games, more kind of creativity opportunities, more opportunities to run around and do things as a team. Um, and particularly with the younger girls, the Body Project had, as far as we know, never been tried with uh, such such young girls from, from age seven upwards. Particularly, we were really excited by the opportunity to introduce the image myth through a story about mice, which was uh, <laughs> it was a sweet story uh, and something that has really caught on and girls seem to really enjoy reading to each other and kind of acting out and being creative around it. Actually, the, the, another um, part of, of what we do within WAGS, as well as this kind of non-formal education and all that kind of thing, is actually um, encouraging girls to take action as well. Um, so it's very much centred on um, the girl, she learns about the image myth and kind of the impact that it has and learns to, uh, to start challenging it in lots of different ways. And I guess the ultimate way that she gets to challenge it as part of Free Being Me is that she runs a take action project either on her own or with her friends. Um, and that's a really key part of WAG's learning experience. So girls make a difference not only for themselves, but actually for other people too. So they share the messages of Free Being Me and kind of impact other people with, with the things that they've learned too. Great, thanks Jenny. So you've been working on this project right from the beginning. Can you give me maybe a couple of your personal highlights related to this project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've had uh, some amazing experiences with Free Being Me through um, seeing girls actually take part in the curriculum themselves, my own girls. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a guide leader uh, in my own hometown and uh, so it's very exciting to see sort of something that's very global having a genuine impact on girls that, that I know in their own community. My most recent personal highlight, I think, um, the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts every year goes to the UN's Commission on the Status of Women. And this is an opportunity for our members to be given a voice at the highest level and for the issues that we really care about to be raised with decision makers. And one of the issues that we are really passionate about, of course, is ensuring that decision makers take into account the importance of body confidence and self-esteem for girls. As part of what we did at the Commission on the Status of Women, we ran an event to tell people about Free Being Me and what we were doing and why it's so important um, that this issue is taken really seriously. And during that event, uh, we had a really great opportunity to hear from a few of our young women who've really experienced Free Being Me and taken part in it and uh, introduced it to their communities. And one of those stories was from um, a young woman called uh, Jermaine from Rwanda. And they have trained uh, a lot of young women in various communities, and they particularly focused on a community where it's quite a poor community, and there are apparently a lot of places where women can get hold of uh, skin lightening cream, and it's mm-hmm. become quite an important issue for those for those girls and women that they should do this. It's felt, you know, that image myth is very strong there, and it's a real problem. It costs a lot of money, and it's stopping girls from even going from going to school because sometimes the money is diverted into those kind of things. Uh, so it was a, yeah, a really big problem. And so Jermaine took Free Being Me training to some young women in that community. She sort of said how they had maybe 20 odd people at first. And then as people heard about it, more people came and she it was really great. And the young women learned a lot. 
Jermaine kind of went off and then started training other people in other communities and didn't think anything of it. And then a few weeks later, somebody gave her a ring and said, oh, we're doing this community meeting. And some of those young women who you trained have asked to uh, to speak out at the meeting. Jermaine hadn't sort of made that decision, hadn't asked them to do it. They'd just gone and done it on their own, off their own backs. And apparently Jermaine kind of went over to the meeting to, to hear the girls speak. And the girls were really passionate about sharing uh, the importance of body confidence and kind of got everyone to, to write kind of challenging messages on speech bubbles to hold them up and say, you know, I don't believe in the image myth. This is a really bad idea. And apparently it's really had a massive impact on the community. It was so exciting to hear Jermaine kind of stand up at the UN and, and tell this story. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there are so many other really amazing things happening around the world. Yeah, oh, I love that story about Jermaine. And I, I love the, the fact that you're still a guide leader, Jenny. I didn't know. Um, so <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> whilst you're doing things at the UN, you'll still have your own group in your home area. I think that's really amazing. I think that's kind of a real inspiration to people that want to kind of do that work at different levels. And I think that's just so, so nice. Absolutely. And hopefully, you know, the girls that I work with will see what I do um, and see, hear about the people that I meet and all that kind of stuff and, uh, you know, be inspired to do something similar or something even better one day themselves oh completely okay so we've mentioned in this podcast earlier that free being me has reached approximately 2.5 million girls from over i think 120 different countries Mm -hmm. so what's the goal going forward in terms of the girls that you want to reach by the end of the project well, the 2.5 million figure was at the end of last year so hopefully we've done even better uh up till now um But we aim to reach three and a half million girls by the end of this year. And of course, we hope to continue beyond this year as well to reach more girls in more countries. Great. Okay, and so and you've been doing some research with Eric, Philippa, myself and Bailey Powell to evaluate the impact of Free Being Me. Can you tell me a bit about why this research is important to us? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we uh, are really keen to make sure that free being me, um, you know, we are telling people that body confidence is a really important issue and that free being me is a way to um, to help girls combat it. Um, so we wanted to make sure that it really is making the difference that we're saying it is. Um, although it's obviously based on the body project, it is a little bit different. So mm-hmm. we wanted to ensure that we're making a genuine difference and that we are um, providing the right kind of opportunities for training and support for leaders as well so that they understand how to deliver the program so yeah we want to make sure we're doing the right thing and also if we're going to continue doing free being me if there are any changes that we need to make or yeah any additions that might be needed as well we need to we need to know that information um and also we want to hear the experiences of the people who've been running the program so what's gone well how well they've been supported um Mm -hmm. and what they've most enjoyed as well so that we can celebrate what they've achieved as well as learn for the future Great, thanks Jenny. And on to my last question. What do you envisage for the future of Free Being Me and the World Association for Girl Guides and Girl Scouts? Well, we'd absolutely love to continue uh, running Free Being Me with girls. Um, uh, reaching more girls in more countries is a um, really exciting aim of ours. We know that there are lots lots more girls that haven't been reached and more girls who would like the opportunities perhaps to take uh, a more leadership role and become a peer educator uh, in Free Being Me. So having done the activities as perhaps a guide they've now perhaps got now the opportunity to use the the pack with younger girls um so kind of making it a progression i guess and having the time to do that and we're also excited about the possibilities of expanding into more advocacy opportunities so we went to the commission on the status of women um we're also excited about the opportunity to um support girls at a more local level to do their own advocacy projects both spreading the word about the importance of body confidence 
um, and also kind of empowering them to run, to reach decision makers, whether that's in their local communities or at a national or even a global level, uh, whether it's their head teacher at their school to include more opportunities for girls to get together and um, support each other with body confidence, or perhaps it's uh, going to a national magazine to ask them to um, highlight whether when they're using airbrushing or to use airbrushing less. There's all sorts of opportunities. So for the future of free being me, I think uh, continuing to empower girls to understand what the image myth is, how to challenge it and how to spread the word to their friends and also to expand into more advocacy opportunities to make it into a more global and visible issue. Wonderful. So Jenny, thank you so much for speaking with me today and being such a superstar collaborator. We know there's so much that goes on behind the scenes and we love working with you and the team at WAGS and love all of your passion and enthusiasm for all of this work. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) That was Jenny Giangrande from WAGS talking to Nadia from her office in London. Before we wrap up this episode, A quick reminder that you can still register for the Appearance Matters 7 conference in London this June. To register and find out more about the conference, check out the link in our bio. Thank you so much for listening to our sixth episode of Appearance Matters, the podcast. A big thank you to our superstar guests, Dr. Eric Stice from Oregon Research Institute and Jenny Giogrande from the World Association for Girl Guides and Girl Scouts. Remember to rate us and leave a review on iTunes. You can also tell us what you want to hear more about in your review. We'd love to hear what you think. Lastly, as always, we'd like to thank the Appearance Matter 7 conference sponsors, the Healing Foundation, the University of the West of England and the Dove Self-Esteem Project.